we had a guy uh, who was there for like three, three or four weeks, and because he was getting delauded like six times a day, so of course he didn't want to leave because he was just fucking high as shit. But I mean, yeah. this dude weighed five hundred pounds easy. He um, at one point he was trying to sue the hospital, so he cut the straps off the mechanical lift that we used to get him out of bed and put him into his wheelchair, so that when I picked him up, uh, the the strap snapped. Uh, he was like using a razor blade to make it weak, so he does something to sue over. Um, but he liked me, yeah. so he didn't report it. It was really fucked up. But anyway, at one point, I was in there like helping him get cleaned up, and uh, they were ordering uh, Outback. Him and his like whoever she was, All right. and they were going down the menu, and they weren't just ordering like it was the most amazing thing I've ever heard because they were getting all of the appetizers at the front of the menu that like you never really look at if you're a functioning human being, and um, like steak fried jalapeno poppers and like you know shit like that. But they were getting all of it, and uh, they were asking for like extra bread rolls, and they they offered to buy me a steak. But at that point, I was too freaked out to say yes. <laughs> I, look at this bougie motherfucker. Too good for a free steak. <laughs> I know. Fuck me, right? Like, who do I think I am? That's that's definitely the moral of the story. Alright everyone, welcome to Dumb and Awful. I am Brett. You can follow me at Relentless Board on Twitter. Uh, this is John. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Woke Pharma Exec on Twitter. <laughs> uh, this is Rob. You can follow me at, at Stalking Laws Too Tight uh, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my name is Brad. You can follow me at Fizz for Shizzle on Twitter if you want. That one somehow, despite being the worst of all of them, is your real one. <laughs> Were you doing fake ones? Shit. Oh. I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't know that, but as you know, as you know on the show, uh, a lot of people tune in for the legend of the riff. This is, <laughs> there's this whole myth around John at one point, we know this to be true, will do the greatest opening riff that has ever been done on any podcast ever. Now, was it this one? No. Absolutely not. But we had to try because one of those times where we, we just give it a shot, that is, in fact, making history. We have an <laughs> obligation to act in that case. Actually, in, in this case, what it was was I uh, found my last cell phone and I had forgotten that I had, like, signed up just a dummy, stupid Twitter account and named it Woke Pharma Exec and then went and followed all of the worst people I could think of. Wait, you actually have that account? Yeah, that's that wasn't real? even a joke? Yeah, yeah. Wait, I that do. wasn't a riff? You were just reporting on your life? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had forgotten I had done it, and then I looked at it, and, went, and I just looked up, and it's like, just Cory Booker and Pfizer reps <laughs> and, like, and like Hillary and all this stuff, and I was like, oh... I would be like, really, that's what you do for fun. But you're also on this podcast. So, yeah, we get it. That checks out. You actually Martin Strickelli or whatever that guy's name was. Yeah, yeah. I think it was around that time. Yeah. Absolute pimp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Brad is joining us this week uh, as our guest comrade co-host. He is going to be our resident healthcare expert. 
based off oh, God, of is that, is it that bad that I'm an expert <laughs> on the show? <laughs> For right now, yes. God. All right. Well, uh, blood pressure is important. If it gets low, you die. Um, what else? That's about where I am. His his qualifications are he used to run CrossFit gyms. Not a joke. Uh, and he watch uh, out for un- Uncle Rabdo, huh? Rab Rabdo. <laughs> Very true. That's that's the CrossFit thing. That's like the Mason's secret handshake. But it's also like a drinking too much Mountain Dew thing, or getting bit by a snake thing, or you know, passing out from fentanyl and sleeping on your arm for twenty five hours thing. So yeah, CrossFit. <laughs> that, didn't that happen to a dude? happened to well I, I i've never had i've never had rhabdomyolysis personally um it has happened quite a bit what the fuck are you all doing working out too hard bro Shit. <laughs> i don't know I don't, I don't condone getting i i want to make this very clear uh before we go forward i don't condone getting rhabdomyolysis i think that you shouldn't do that but well, what about it's for bad. a really good cause like trying to triple a max 300 on ddr first edition <laughs> i mean you got to make some choices that's like a personal you know live forever or something something i don't know outside of his wealth of experience with the crossfit cult brad also uh, has worked as a cna and is now studying to be a pa right yes that's true thank what, you what's uh, a cna and what's a pa uh, CNA is about uh, the lowest of the low uh, in the in the healthcare totem pole. It's a certified nursing assistant. It's basically a professional butt wiper. But um, you need what's called patient contact experience to get into PA school. PA is a physician assistant. Uh, physician assistants are essentially uh, med school for people that fucked around in their twenties. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am. They originally in uh, the army came up with them. They wanted, uh, they needed more medical doctors in like the fifties and sixties. And they went to the AMA and were like, we need more people. And they're like, well, we can't make med school faster, but we can make this new thing, which is, you know, so a PA and a fit, like the VA, for example, is the largest employer of PAs. Um, if that makes any sense, you can diagnose, you can write prescriptions, but you're technically working under a doctor. So you have all the same power. You're like the deputy of the doctor. Yeah, I'm like his. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I'm like the Riker to uh, a doctor's Jean-Luc Picard. If someone came in, you could like give them a prescription for Xanax, and they could take it and go. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool. You said lowest of the low are the CNAs. Where would home health aides fall under? Well, home health aides are CNAs generally. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so they'll have to, I mean, unless it's like, you know, Dana, the home health aide who's helping somebody or whatever. But if you're working for like an actual, you know, home health aid company that's legit, you're generally going to need to have a CNA certification. Oh, okay. Because I just remember hearing all the stories of those of those people being worked and getting like barely minimum wage, if that. Oh, oh yeah, that's horrific. a real rough job. Yeah. Even here in New York, that's a real rough job for basically no pay. Yeah, the, the turnover rate is like the six month turnover rate is about 95 uh, percent at nursing homes. And um, they'll be, you know, like uh, you'll have these situations in nursing homes or long term care facilities where one CNA will have like 18 beds or 20 beds. And, you know, these are people that need full time care. It, it's, it's, it's absurd. Like it's, it's not practical. Speaking of healthcare. There's a lot of things going on with the Medicare for All debate, uh, but before we get into that, it is, I think, useful to talk about 
another example of how the current system is completely and utterly fucking broken. I was talking to Brad earlier, and he shared this really interesting article, and I had seen stuff about this before, um, about the health outcome disparities for women of color, specifically mothers, um, and about the way in which their maternal mortality rate in general for America is insanely high. Um, but for women of color in particular, it's just astronomical. Yeah. And a lot of the things you're looking at when you see, especially um, late term medical issues for women of color in the United States, is a lot of the factors that contribute to this are things that, you know, black women, for example, are going to have more common, like higher than the baseline anyway, that these are going to contribute to health issues. Like, for example, you know, African-Americans are generally more predisposed to diabetes they're more de- uh, predisposed to hypertension. They're higher, uh, more predisposed towards obesity. Um, and there's there's a lot of factors which contribute to that. Um, but then those three things really sort of tend to um, complicate pregnancies, right? Especially towards the end. You have something called preeclampsia, which is elevated, you know, blood pressure during pregnancy. And what's happening is that for whatever reason, uh, you know, doctors aren't taking this into consideration. Racism. Pretty sure that's the reason. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Shitloads yeah. of institutional racism. Uh, you know, and it, you know, and it, part of it, you know, taking into consideration somebody's circumstances is part of what we, you know, you call making a differential diagnosis, right? For example, if someone comes in and they've had like allergy infections every single year and their nose is running, you know, it's probably not like nose cancer. You know, they probably have a sinus infection again or, or you know, whatever. But for whatever reason, it doesn't, it honestly doesn't make a lot of sense to me is that African-American women specifically are having these absurd issues uh, in immediate, you know, these post-delivery hemorrhages that are just not happening with white women for some reason. Yeah, the combination of that and then the the other one that seems to be a common occurrence uh, for black mothers is denial of pain meds, right? Where right. The, the burden of proof is apparently on the woman suffering to prove she desperately needs the pain meds and they're less likely to give it to black women. Right. And, and there's, and so broadly speaking, you're, when you're, especially when you're working like in an ED, for example, you have people coming in, you know what they're there for, right? This person is here trying to get pain meds, but that doesn't make any sense in the course of childbirth, right? I mean, you're, you're, you have like a watermelon coming out of your vagina. Like that's incredibly painful. You know, you should be treated for this or in general, like why is one, you know, subset of the society less likely to be given a prescription for this than another. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I remember reading articles about that just, uh, in general doctors severely underprescribe, uh, painkillers to, uh, to black people. Right. And, and, you know, and and then again, you compare this to, if you're just bringing this back to Florida, what is it? Florida has the, the most, um, pill farm per capita's, you know, in the country. Like if you're just a wealthy white person, I didn't know that, yeah. but that makes sense. Yeah, you can go to a what's called a pain management clinic and complain of, you know, f- basically like lumbago or something from Red Dead Redemption 2. And like you'll get, you know, hydromorphone and fernigan and for the nausea and you can just get high as shit, you know, and no one will bat an eye. But if you're, you know, coming into the emergency room, you're you know, suffering from trauma like, yeah, she's faking it. Yeah, she doesn't really need it. So so you're saying is we should be praising Pfizer for trying to kill all the white people. (laughs) If it turns out that white genocide is real, but the Sackler family's behind it, that's going to be a hell of a twist. (laughs) (laughs) These writers, man, these writers.
I mean, a super relevant example, by the way, of how fucking racist doctors are is all the stuff with Northam going on now. The fact that he can't remember which blackface photo he was in is insane. But there, people are pulling up the yearbook from that medical school he went to, uh, Eastern Virginia Medical School. EVMS. Wait, that's from a medical school? Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, so everyone's talking about height, like yearbook, and you think, oh, he was like 15 or whatever. This motherfucker was like 24. Like, <laughs> like what the fuck? Why is every professional program basically high school again? I mean, I, I know the answer. It's because the people that end up in law school and med school were dorks in high school. And so they have to try to recapture their lost youth by going to like barrister's ball and posing for the med school yearbook. But it's just so cringy. To be the worst person in a med school yearbook is quite an accomplishment. But <laughs> Northam, he excels. I mean, I, I don't think it's the dorky thing, because remember, I, I went to the dorkiest school, and no, we did not have blackface parties, as far as I can tell. Maybe they did, you just weren't invited. <laughs> well, they weren't in the fucking yearbook, that's for sure. I I mean, I was born in Atlanta, like, you know, and I grew up in Charlotte, which is like... The home white. of blackface? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, you know this is not right, like... You know, I, I guess I was born in like the incredibly enlightened nine or I'm from I was going to school in the 90s, which was, I mean, also a small kind of hell. But like, Jesus, like this was in 19, what, 84, wasn't it? Was it yeah. in this? Yep. Yeah, that sounds right. Look, I, I can't imagine having an upbringing that was more like fully enveloped in racism than like mine being from Florida and not a single person I knew ever even considered doing blackface. Right. So I, I, how yeah, far down the rabbit hole do you have to be? It's insane to look at the yearbook uh, that they are pulling pics from. And there's a two-page spread where it is just a series of pictures of people in blackface. And then there's a lone photo of a black man burying his face in the book. And it, it, the entire it, it's just an amazing montage of fucking racism and this one black man just trying to probably get through and get the fuck out. Yeah. This is in Virginia in the 80s, right? Like, go to yep. a punk show in D.C. Do anything other than blackface for your grown adult yearbook. My understanding of it is that, at least in the in the South, like, if you're in, an, if you're in an area with any kind of minority population, a lot of this doesn't actually occur. It's in these white enclaves in these areas. You're, uh, you're Duke, for example, where it's just like all the all the white people from sheltered communities that have been in private schools their whole lives are just fucking just shitting all uh, just just a, a massive honeypot of just severe racism. Right. I I just went to two high schools uh, in Charlotte. One of them was like a Catholic high school, and it was very uncommon. It was not uncommon to hear people just oh. casual racism, and you know the N word left and right, and nothing was ever thought about it. But then I ended up going to the public school down the street. And if any kid would have said anything like that, he would have been a, he would have had the shit kicked out of him. And B, the, uh, the administrators would just looked at him and said like, what did you expect was going to happen right there? And that'd have been the end of it. <laughs> yeah. School bullying works guys. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that shit works. Especially when it comes to shitty, rich white kids. Those are definitely the kids who need to get bullied more. But Northrop is another good example of like, this is the sort of systemic racism that's baked into the medical system. So not only does 
it fail essentially everyone, uh, even outside of uh, women of color, our mortality rate for mothers is the highest of any developed nation, right? So it's just failing across the board. Then on top of that, there's just the deep systemic racism where celebrated doctors, which is what Northam is, uh, casually did blackface all the time to the point where he can't remember when it happened. But the, the, the main issue is that we sort of have this like assumption that the doctors are our best of the best and that they're the smartest and they're above all these things. And really, they're just people that excel at one very specific type of learning. And they have the they have the drive to do it, the means to pursue it and the ability to just memorize just so, so, so much shit all the time. Yeah, I mean, it never ends. You want to cry? I'm crying right now. Uh, <laughs> you know. They're they're highly yeah. trained mechanics for the body. Right, right. No, you're thinking of CrossFit again. Yeah, okay, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but these people have like a they're trained to think a very very specific way, and so that when they get exposed, like everyone's shocked, and they're just like, well, why should they be shocked? These people are, you know, they've been this isn't this is how they were taught to think. Yeah, I I think some of that is. Um nature nurture or chicken and egg or some other metaphor that makes it seem like I put more thought into this riff than I really have. Uh, it's when you talk about like the means, right? It's not that when you get in the medical community, uh, certain systemic biases arise, like I'm sure they do. But if you were in med school in the eighties, you had to be in a particular position of privilege to even have that opportunity, right? right. All, all of the economic and educational disadvantages that people that aren't you know, already rich white guys have play into the pool of students that enter the medical profession to begin with. Absolutely. And so they're already, you're already dealing with your Covington Catholic, uh, <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh type population entering into the lab coats and, uh, whatever. Yeah. And then they, they get into med school and get no socialization for most of their twenties. So yeah, that's a that's a really good stew. Yeah, I mean it's it produces some uh, it produces the Rand Pauls of the world. Oh, excuse me, he's not a doctor. He's a uh, he went to DO school. Ooh, medical burn. Oh uh, yeah, medical burn. What's DL school? Oh, uh, see, he's a uh, he's he's not an MD. Frankly, a... I think Brett could probably teach it if you know what I'm saying, guys. <laughs> <laughs> He's a what's called a doctor of osteopathic medicine. It's a DO instead of a uh, MD. There's a functionally very little difference. But Rand Paul famously uh, didn't get certified by the state board in Kentucky, so he made his own board to certify himself. Um, Damn, self-certification, the ultimate pimp move. <laughs> yeah, so he's basically Grover making his own uh, addition to the house. Deep something awful reference on that one we don't do that okay i apologize <laughs> that is if you get that you aren't even happy about it <laughs> i mean that really brings joy to nobody <laughs> so so against this backdrop clearly the system needs to be burnt down and just completely rebuilt from scratch we're entering the medicare for all debate is getting um interesting we'll say within the 2020 debate all the candidates are trying not to put too firm uh, uh they're trying not to be too firm about where they sit as far as fully destroying the private industry 
um, versus some sort of public option. Uh, and they're being very, very careful about it. Oh, I'm actually very glad this is happening now because it was going to happen regardless. Yes. But it basically just seeds a gigantic chunk of the debate to Bernie Sanders. Yep. Yeah, let, let's have the conversation while people are vaguely radicalized, or at least by American standards. Yeah, no, that conversation happening now is amazing. So you, there's the Democrats are splitting into sort of two camps. You get the camp uh, of like Sherrod Brown this week doing the Medicare for all is not practical, right? Like that's the new way to, to rebut people pushing for it is if you're, you're a clear-eyed centrist who's very serious about the debt, you say it's just not practical. Right. And like, and like practical is such like an interesting word choice, you know, because it, practical doesn't mean that it's, that it's incorrect or that it wouldn't work. What practical means, it's like, now's not the right time. You know, like th this isn't, this is not wrong, but it's not totally right. It's like a very demeaning, um, like talking down to you kind of way to like talk about something. Yeah, Look, if really we're going to spend money, guys, if the government's going to spend money, it needs to be on something practical. Gets into V22 Osprey, which immediately plummets into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do sensible things, you know, like overthrow the government of Venezuela. Never not coup in South America. What's the American motto? What? We're going to get to the point with Trump's like golf outings over his four years or God fucking, you know, maybe eight years or whatever ends up happening because this is the hell timeline where like his golfing security could have paid for like a year of Medicare for all with like no problem at all. We're getting close. It's insane. Um, so we have the not practical argument that you're getting from the centrist types, uh, including our our favorite former mayor mr bloomberg old bloombudo who how did you whiff el bloombudo I, I don't know you try to make fun of him for his poor spanish and you fucked up the parody spanish name <laughs> <laughs> somehow bloomberg won that interaction <laughs> yeah well he gets one a year within the practical camp you've got mike bloomberg with a wonderful quote to replace the entire private system where companies provide health care for their employees would bankrupt us for a very long time. Yeah, okay. real quick, what, what's his nickname again? El Bloombido. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so to re so the, the, the reaction to Medicare for All is something that came up during the Affordable Care Act where um, you would have these high-risk corridors is what they talked about. Like think of like Appalachia or places like that where people who were- High-risk corridor. I didn't know we were talking about your mom. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> they think about it. It takes a second, but you'll get there. <laughs> These places where, like, they were going to have health care for the first time in their lives, and they were going to be just yeah, insane. I don't know we're still talking about your mom. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Anyway. Right. I mean, it's true. She has a lot of problems. Um, they, uh, But these are places where, like, you, you know, your 50-year-old your male is going to have hypertension, diabetes, obesity, his, needs a hip replacement. My mom is still being talked about. I understand. <laughs> But like, and this is what happened. This is when their argument for like Medicare for all would bankrupt us all because now you're you're entering all these people into the system, which is not untrue. 
but you're also getting preventative care for people who are younger, who are in their 20s and 30s, who are going to be educated about diabetes and diet and smoking cessation and things like that. Wait, let so me short. Let me follow that yeah. train of logic real fast. We can't afford Medicare for all because all the people we've been ignoring and let die would suddenly get access to health care and us treating them would cause us to go bankrupt. Bingo. And it, yeah, exactly. That's basically what it comes down to. No, no. It's like it's like when you're fucking a pig, right? And you realize you're fucking a pig. You can't stop at that point. You got to just keep fucking that pig. <laughs> that's that's an old Slavic folktale. I'm sure you've all heard it. <laughs> thank you, David Cameron. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Back, back to the, the high-risk court. Right. But so with the ACA, the government, you know, basically gave them money to take care of rural West Virginia, right? Because it just, it, it was the only way to do it. In this case, it would be nationwide. But you, you think about, you know, on the short term, maybe it's more expensive. In the long term, you're sending, you're saving just God knows how much money in Medicare or in healthcare costs because you don't, you have people that understood diet, understood smoking, understood diabetes management understood you know all these things that get incredibly expensive later in life these sort of what we call lifestyle illnesses and that's you know i, I think that's a very simple easy message to communicate but people like howard schultz who are obviously better than me um say no no absolutely not right and and and, and on top of that you you have all the just amount of waste in the current system like even if you ignore uh the like the government being able to negotiate, say, drug prices or something like that. You have you have the sheer amount of waste and loss going on at hospitals because ERs in a lot of areas just have no ability to, like, recoup losses uh, from pa patients who can't pay. Or the... Or just based where you are in location, like, if you're in rural Kentucky, you're going to have... Uh, your patients are going to almost universally be incredibly poor and unable to pay, whereas hospitals in wealthier areas are going to be fine, and just being able to fix that system would go a long way. So that's a lot of great technocratic reasons why Medicare for All would work, but I'll be as clear as possible here. I don't give a fuck how much it costs. It's the morally right thing to do. I don't, yeah, I well, don't, of course. I don't yeah, care at yeah. all. I mean, that that is sort of the the problem with talking about this stuff is you fall into the the capitalist framework where you're like actually long term we're better off economically as a market and as our gdp like that might be true but i don't know I, i'm i like the argument from just basic human dignity like if we, yeah, but that'll if we never get anywhere yeah, yeah, but I you're know. arguing with republicans is the problem so it's you know yeah, but if you're arguing with Republicans, what makes you think that all of your good budget talk is going to have any effect? That's always been a smokescreen. Yeah. Like, they never really cared about that right. shit anyway. So why, why when you turn on, like, MSNBC, do we have people like John Favreau saying that, actually, we can see uh, percentage growth in the healthcare industry as we improve health outcomes? Like, why is that a thing anyone cares about? Yeah, I would right. say you're not you're not arguing with Republicans. You're arguing with Democrats. The Republicans right. are a lost cause. I don't give a fuck what they think. But the people who are actually going to stop it from happening are the shitty centrists and the neolibs and then the pod saves dudes trying to pretend that there is no difference between universal coverage and a system in which you still have to pay for fucking health insurance. Yeah, I think talking about it as a market 
or in a market context in general just solidifies in people's mind that healthcare is a market. Mm. It's it's but in the problem but the problem is is that it's an incredibly profitable market currently. For example, uh since 2000 since the 2008 crash, I believe or maybe it's 2000 uh the general healthcare fund at Vanguard for uh healthcare companies has been earning 16% rate of return. Uh, That's so year. insane. Yeah, just John. <laughs> How you've... do you get into that, <laughs> John? You've convinced me. Capitalism's broken. Socialism all the way, baby. Yeah, and the thing about all the like the waste and whatnot is that waste is subsidized because it's taxpayer dollars that end up getting lost. The profits you can see the sixteen percent rate of return. That's doing just fine. I mean, that's sort of how a capitalist system works. We got tax season coming up. TurboTax lobbies against sensible tax reform, like just simplifying it to the point of how tax collection works in most countries. They argue against that because they know having a clusterfuck is profitable. And that's our healthcare industry as well. TurboTax wanted to charge me $40 to pay to use them just by taking it out of my return. So they wanted to charge me for me to pay them. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then when you get to the end, they want to charge you like a hundred bucks to do some like just absolutely nonsense program that does nothing. It's really, it's really quite funny. Also, yeah. don't this forget about a- the opportunity to get an Amazon gift card instead of your refund. That's caked in. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, because you can get it immediately that way. Yeah. You can get an Amazon digital gift card right now. If you don't want to wait for that lame check. Digital. <laughs> it's the digital company store. It's, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's very like, normal country. Yeah, it, profit incentive means it's always easier to make money if people are desperate. So if you make everyone desperate, you can make a shitload of money, which is the system we have now. You can't fill needs if people don't have needs, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Within all this, though, while I don't love him on everything, Sanders does barge in and they asked him about it. It was like, I, I, here's the quote from the New York Times article talking about this. Yet there is one likely 2020 contender who is thrilled to discuss Medicare for all. Mr. Sanders, in an interview, did not miss words. The only role for private insurance in the system he envisioned would be cosmetic surgery. You want to get your nose fixed or something. Hell yeah, Bernie. That's like the best argument for Bernie I've seen is everyone else is scared to fucking say, no, I'm here to make sure everyone gets covered. And he is totally unapologetic about it. And if nothing else, it'll pull all the other cowards left. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he he did pull them left is like until until they finally figured out that they were all, all going to just go against it up until last week. They were all saying, yeah, yeah, no, Medicare for all is great. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to I'm going to support that until uh, until a donor talks to me. And then now now they've come uh, figured out their plan and coming out and saying it's it's just <laughs> better things aren't possible. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually my uh, my conspiracy theory, which I'm, I kind of think is true, is that Howard Schultz running for president isn't actually a I want to be president thing. I mean, or if it is, it's in the sort of low key way that all billionaires want to be president because they have an unquenchable thirst for power. But I think he might just join pull the Overton window away from Medicare for all by being like the independent, 
I'm actually the moderate, you know, people always think independent and moderate means the same thing. And he's going to go, we can't afford this healthcare stuff. Let's be reasonable guys. And that'll make it easier for Kamala and Cory Booker to go, yeah, you know what? I agree with the, the independent voter that we have to have reasonable solutions. And all of a sudden it'll just be Warren and Bernie out on that flank while the whole rest of the world says that they're being unreasonable. And then he drops out and everyone makes a lot of money off of that, including him. Well, I got two things. One, Warren isn't actually all that in favor of Medicare for all. I I, I know I was giving her the yeah. best. Yeah, I know, I know we got to we got to give her some like she's 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 good on some of the banking stuff and not so great everywhere else. But yes, she's as close to that left flank as Bernie is as anyone else, which is just sad. And the other thing is that I think he's trying to do that, but he's so remarkably unlikable that I think he's all the only thing he seems to be doing is killing off some of that uh, perceived greatness of billionaires that seems to exist. Right. And yeah, and that's absolutely right. Like, and and I, you, you're completely right that Schultz is trying to like you know drive a wedge in the issue, but he fucking sucks at everything <laughs> that he says. And he's, he just hate him just by looking at him. And if you look at all the poll numbers, I mean, what was it like 3% of Democrats approve and like 51 or whatever disapprove, but like Republican numbers are very similar. And, uh, you know, we're living in this sort of this era where the, the mystique of the successful person is just completely going by the wayside because we see how just fucking incompetent Trump is at every turn. And here comes Schultz, who made a fortune selling $4 cups of coffee or whatever, coming off as a complete fucking asshole like in every interview he gives it's kind of great it's kind of great that we went from like the gilded age of like andrew carnegie having iron boss reliefs of like the zodiac over his dining room with other tycoons and heads of state wearing penguin tops and tails and now it's like howard schultz going like hey guys what if the deficit was your bay you treat it right and just everyone hating him <laughs> I love I Schultz mean, running. It, it's fucking amazing because he's doing a bunch of great work for socialists, in my opinion. One, he pulled all the attention from Bernie to himself as far as uh, centrist hatred is concerned. To the point where the pod saves dudes were forced to actually clarify. You know, Bernie could run on a third party, but he doesn't. So he's actually way better than this dude. Loved that. You could feel that it was like pulling teeth for them to admit it. And it was amazing. And then they turned around and like, they're... The one thing that the the like establishment dims have is an understanding, or I shouldn't say understanding, uh, fucking bone deep commitment to their team, and anyone fucking with their team must be destroyed. And Schultz is fucking with the team, right? So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I would be very interested after all of this. Bernie is a. a trotskyist infiltrator and you know he's actually an independent and that's why we can never embrace him if howard schultz gets in any way embraced by the dnc i want to be well as upset as i always am i guess <laughs> I, mean, I i don't think he'll be embraced until he de until he decides to bow out that will be the point where you where you know that they're going to go and just in and just uh really consider his ideas but i think right now they're stuck i mean as the neolib centrist dems are always stuck trying to walk that very fine line that makes absolutely no sense 
And like Schultz is going to end up like on MSNBC as a special contributor after he bows out after the first debate or something like that. Right. Damn. Can you imagine him, Neera Tandon, and Maya Wiley? Oh, my heart just skipped. <laughs> <laughs> and back to Chuck Todd, uh, who Chuck has got some really interesting demo for us. Blah, blah, blah. Speaking of garbage people, let's talk about Florida for a minute. Oh, hell yeah. I love these stories. I know. So this article, uh, I'll just get to it, right? Uh, a Daytona Beach man was arrested this week after police said he burned down his own house after screaming about vampires. So uh, his wife tried to have him Baker acted, which is a thing in Florida where you can just have someone locked up if you think they're crazy enough. That was always a, a big punchline in like middle school saying that you'd Baker act Wait, was that is that Florida only? Uh, do other states not do that? Yeah, that, that, that's a state thing. Yeah, I know we just assumed it was normal that you could just be like, this guy's wild and Baker. Oh, I thought someone. the whole country no, did that. We thing. just threw people no. into... Oh, I mean, they do no, do that. Absolutely but they're not. Not, I mean, it's it's uh, involuntary, it's involuntary commitment. commitment. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, all states have their version of it, but uh, Florida, I believe, has a particularly loose one. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it never struck me as fucked up that, like, in the fourth grade, I knew what the Baker Same. Act was. <laughs> I, I want to point out, though, in the opening paragraph of this article, it says that after police said he burned down his own house after screaming about vampires. So, I mean, who can really believe what the police say in this situation? Uh, yeah, in, in this case, I'm pretty sure you could talk to anyone in the immediate vicinity and they go, yeah, the vampire stuff and then the fire. You see it. It's right there. <laughs> Very verifiable. <laughs> His quote right before he did the blaze, though, the vampires are going to defend themselves. <laughs> Very I mean, true. Is going, he's going into it with eyes <laughs> wide open. Uh, how do you burn down your shelter for protection? I, I don't know. But I've been someone that, like, I played Vampire the Masquerade, you know, World of Darkness, Tabletop. Like, I was into vampires uh, before that Twilight shit made it cool. Vampire hipster. You know? I was a vampire hipster, which is a, such a cursed <laughs> phrase. But the thing is, I thought I was the eldest. But this guy, <laughs> 64, and still in a vampire's absolute king. So I don't know. I don't understand why you did it, but I'm sure you had your reasons. But, Next Florida story. This one was my personal favorite of the week. Uh, this girl decided she needed to get to her boyfriend's house. This girl in high school in Florida. Uh, her name is Bigelow. I'm going to just call it Bigelow. So she hatched a scheme. Josie Bigelow. She hatched a scheme. So fucking brilliant. She called a pizza delivery order for her neighbors. And then while the driver was delivering the pizza, she jumped in his car and raced off. And the Florida police responded totally normal to this. Sent a fucking police helicopter after her. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, that's actually... There, you have to understand this happened in Fort Myers. So in Fort Myers, if... You can steal the car and then escape the police helicopter. You lose the stars and then it's yours. <laughs> so this is like a, this is a normal legal thing. She's fourteen, so she obviously has a lot to learn still. Not that much. This she escaped custody like. twice before they finally got her. I'll give you guys one guess each why she needed to visit her boyfriend. Oh, uh, drugs, 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 drugs. Uh, I'll say, I'll say, uh, uh, he was he was cheating on her, Rob. I'm not going to guess why a 14-year-old girl wants to go see her boyfriend, you weirdos. You're all wrong. It was to do crimes. 
<laughs> she stole the car because they were going to go rob more people and do burglaries. <laughs> so, so she was cheating on him, effectively. She was doing crimes without him. She was doing the crimes so they could do crimes together. Oh, you don't own all the crimes that she does. She can do crimes without you around, you fucking weirdo. That's 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 my new character, the supportive friend who's also a criminal. It's very it's very presumptive, and it's in the Me Too era, especially to assume that you have to be there when your girlfriend, you know, knocks over an old lady for her prescription. You don't control what I do or don't stash in my <laughs> asshole. Okay, this counts as very progressive for Florida as well. Good job, Bigelow. The, the best part about this article is if you scroll down, rookie mistake, local ten news, South Florida. They have a comment section. <laughs> <laughs> so our final floor story comes from my hometown of tampa louis ck has decided that he's going to go back on tour and he cast about and decided that the one place that desperately needed five shows to kick off his tour was tampa and he was right because the tickets have already sold out yeah i mean this this doesn't count as a story basically right That's, <laughs> why yeah, why wouldn't that happen? I mean, even if he was under an immense amount of pressure and unable to perform anywhere else, of course he would be able to perform in Tampa. But that's not even what's going on. Uh, nothing like that is ever going to go on. People are okay, especially in the South and on the touring circuit, with comedians who literally their act is doing racism. There's a guy, Jeff Dunham had a terrorist puppet whose jokes were like, I'm from Iran, and that was it. So, yeah, Louis is going to be fine. He's going to do these shows. It's going to be almost no impediment whatsoever. So do you know how I heard about this? Uh, it was because uh, David Hogg uh, uh, was promoting the video of one of the uh, Stoneman Douglas parents recording a response to this. Because uh, what, uh, what, what he did was he can't uh, – or one of the things he came back was by calling the – uh, the, the the school shooting survivor kids that are coming out and being this uh, gigantic pussies. Louis C.K. is doing the thing that all of the shame comedians seem to do, which is they recognize that the only audience they have left is pieces of shit, so they just lean into edgy humor, quote unquote edgy humor, right? And it I mean, sells yeah, well. That was always Louis C.K.'s bit. Like he was always he was always like into the into a edgy right wing aggrieved uh, white guy humor. He was never he was never calling shooting survivors pussies levels of bad. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But was. I mean, but I mean, like, yeah, remember that that video that came up uh, that got oh yeah linked around like a week like a, where Chris Rock. it was him and him Chris Rock and Seinfeld and was it was it Ricky Gervais? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Guy, and they were just and they were just all talking about how it, well everyone except Seinfeld was talking about how much they used the n word. Yeah, the, the Louis thing, I have lots of dumbass thoughts on comedy no one wants to hear, but he used to go on Opie and Anthony and just like drop N-bombs all day because he was doing it as like the, he was doing it riffing with Patrice O'Neill, who sort of set up these parameters where they were going to riff race R. relations R. with, yeah, one of the greats. He definitely would not have, it's, look, 
I'm sad he's gone, but man, if Patrice O'Neal was around these days, it'd be a rough yeah. one for him. <laughs> but so uh, Louis would come on and they'd have this very set thing where, you know, Louis Mexican, but he passes white. That makes Patrice mad. And then Louis says, oh, Patrice, get over it. You know, I'm a Mexican and I can, I do just fine. And they get into these discussions about whiteness and they just use tons of slurs, right? And maybe it's completely wrong there, but those are actually interesting sets mm -hmm. they do together. It's almost like he took that out of that one particular performance context and just went like, I'm the guy that can say the N-word now. <laughs> and I think that's what you're seeing on that interview, which was itself like really old. Oh, yeah, think, yeah it, was, right? it was years old. And I think all this stuff sort of plays into how like – Brett's like, oh, Louis was never this bad before. Louis was always this bad, but there was this illusion or maybe reality that he was like the woke guy being bad. He was the guy that you expected to be a reactionary. And instead he he can't, and he had bad language and he, he used curse words about his daughters. You know, it, it was crude, but at the end of the day, he somehow figured it out. And now that we know what we know, it makes it harder to see him with those sorts of like charitable lens yeah well, that that and i will say that like probably when he was at his height of his popularity and he had the tv show and everything he was he, it was doing a uh a more a, a more subdued type of humor he was cutting out a lot i mean he, he was not doing the patrice o'neill stuff which i mean makes sense to it and also very progressive that show right. was really progressive yeah, right. it, i mean much like the much like the 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 the, the most exaggerated example of that being like bob Saget. Where who would do uh, who did incredibly like the uh, raunchy, terrible humor and uh, surrounding everything, and then did Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos, where it was like just the blandest, most nothing humor possible. Yo, he was good on Entourage, though. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing: I don't know if I don't want to spoil it for those you haven't seen it, but Vinny wasn't sure if he was going to do the movie, you know. And then he sees Bob Saget, and he's like, hey, you do the movie, you get pussy. And it's like, Bob Saget saying that wild. And then the characters in it also said, Bob Saget saying that wild. Anyway, he did the movie in the end, so spoilers free. <laughs> Entourage was amazing for a show that had no likable characters. I watched every episode. I mean, <laughs> you, you those, those two things aren't mutually exclusive, because uh, I was cheering for everyone to get hurt in that show. Rob, I know a lot of terrible things about you, but that might be the worst. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's, here's, here, here's how I'm going to get all of you on this. Ready? Treme. We all agree that's a beautiful character study, mm -hmm. right? A slice of life of New Orleans. And there's not a whole lot of plot, but it just sort of... You let the characters be who they are for better or worse, and you share that time with them. Slice of life anime, John. Same sort of thing. Of course. You know, it, we're not, no one's taking a hero's <laughs> journey. They're just trying to get by. And some people are larger than life and, you know, some are relatable. Entourage is in a fucking bizarro world more twisted than any anime <laughs> or it's just, it just, it's, it's like if an Abercrombie caught fire and then it set three Aqua Di Gio factories ablaze right before they started filming. <laughs> I, it's fucking awesome. Those characters are true to form. The actors commit fully to it. 
that guy who played Turtle was like, yes, I'm playing the character Turtle. Um, and right now in this scene, he wants to get the dank for Vinny because Vinny's nervous uh, because his brother has an audition. Like, they took it so seriously. <laughs> I think my version of watching that was uh, I really I really enjoyed uh, a lot of the jackass material for a few years. Not the stuff when they were bugging they turned... people, but what, the stuff when they were just really hurting themselves. I mean, it was it was just more like they were very, like, the characters were, they weren't very likable. They were all kind of assholes. But, and you just found a fascination in watching that. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying now. Like, Johnny Knoxville is not a human. He's like a force of nature on that show. And you just want to check in and see what he's up yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, he can't. You're, uh, Johnny Knoxville can't pee anymore because he destroyed his urethra, so he has to in and out cath himself three times. Oh yeah, God. that's fucking cool as yep. hell. Yep. It, it's really funny when he <laughs> talks about the accident that he does it, where he says, "Oh yeah, the you know the the stunt guys and the motorcycle guys were like, yeah, whatever you do when you go off this ramp, whatever you do, don't let go of the bike because it'll go forty feet up in the air, and then come down and land on top of you." And then he follows it up with, "So I went off the ramp and I let go of the motorcycle, and it went up and landed on my dick." Look, if you're telling me that Kevin Dillon has to cath three times a day to get the performance that he did out of Johnny Drama Chase in Entourage, that's that's worth it. <laughs> <coughs> and I think that's going to be it for us. <laughs> that show turned Jeremy Piven into a sex symbol. Do you understand how monumentous that is? <laughs> People look at Ari Gold and go like, yeah, I want to fuck back. <laughs> God, I think the only Entourage bit I saw is when they had Brady on it. <laughs> That's sad. He was the best actor to ever appear on that show. <laughs> <sighs>